Welcome inside the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm Justin Quinn here with Alex Goldberg and Cam Tabatabai. And today we have a special guest to talk all things cap related during this critical offseason for the Boston Celtics with hoops hyped Yasi Goslin. How are you doing considering it's election day? Considering, uh, you know, it's when we're recording, uh, not exactly the easiest time to focus on things. Maybe it is the easiest time to focus on things besides politics. Yeah, I mean, we spent the whole summer wondering if sports were a distraction in our society or not. And uh, I don't know if we answered that question, but I'll take a 40-minute distraction right now and in the coming weeks. Absolutely. Uh, I was fucking pumped for this all day. Um, I also just got some good news that my cat is not as disease-riddled as I thought he was. So that's I'm feeling good. Obviously, uh, the world may or may not be crumbling around us, but I have a lot of vodka and a healthy cat, so can't complain. <laughs> I'm in Mexico right now, and I left my dog at a PetSmart, and when I left him there, they already boarded up the window, so as long as we have healthy pets at the end of this, I'm happy. <laughs> right? Seriously. Well, so we have we have two people in mexico for a celtics podcast that has got to be a first or at least in english anyway but we have things to talk about the cap 132 million dollar estimate i mean is this what it's gonna be what does it mean uh yasi what are are your thoughts on what this cap means uh just let's start with the nba uh more of like a short-term window like this season what are we what are we looking at from these projections and how reliable do you think they are yeah, so right now it looks like things are going to roll over. The same cap and tax numbers will be most likely equal to what they were in the last season. And just about 20 minutes ago or so, we did get an update from Sean Sharania where he reiterated that most likely the numbers will roll over. He first mentioned it sometime last week. Uh, he wrote about an update with uh, Michelle Roberts, and he, he basically reiterated the same thing today. And the players are hoping for an increase so they can make some more money. But because of the escrow issues, what Sean's reporting is that they're probably going to agree on spreading the escrow over three years. To do that, they, they don't want to incur more debt. So they don't want to increase the, uh, any of the cap or tax figures, even if that means that players won't make as much this summer. So. Yasi, for any of our listeners who are unfamiliar, can you just give us uh, a 10-second definition of escrow as it pertains to the NBA? So usually on a normal season without coronavirus, the uh, all-player salaries, 10% of it is held in an escrow account. To That is done because you have to make sure that, you, uh, that the players and owners get a 50-50 split. If players get all their money, then it's possible that they get overpaid if revenues fall short of projections. So what they do is they withhold 10%. And then at the end, they see if they the players didn't get, get as much, they'll cut them a check for the difference. Or if the players did get overpaid, then uh, they hold some of that 10%. When coronavirus happened, they increased it to 25%. And there have been a lot of negotiations about uh, potentially increasing that to about 40%. Uh, Shams mentioned in the article that the owners actually wanted unlimited escrow, the one that just came out, which of course is they <laughs> which is like that's definitely a good uh, a good leverage to throw out the players. But then they uh, ended up settling. Uh, the players want to do fifteen percent. Owners want to do twenty five. They're going to meet somewhere in the middle, according to Shams. 
So, and then spread over the three years. So it's a little, it's, it's still, I still don't totally understand it because this report just came out. I'm sure we'll learn more about it. Uh, once, once they actually agree on uh, to resume the seat, to start the season and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, th but this is, yeah, this is still even foreign to me uh, to fully understand what it means to spread it out over three years. But well, you don't, you don't remember this from the last pandemic? Uh, no, that was too long ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's my bad. Uh, not it happens. It happens. So, like, what do you think the, uh, the the immediate effects of this are going to be? Are we going to see teams uh, make any kind of like surprise cost saving moves, considering the cap isn't going to be going up as as expected? Or do you think people are just going to kind of suck it up for the the short term in general? Not necessarily specific to the Celtics because they have kind of a unique situation, but. Like around the league, are we going to see people like start like selling off uh, rosters to try to save from tax or is it kind of wait and see? Well, it depends on the team. Uh, there are a number of teams, which does include the Celtics, who are already in the tax if it stays at uh, 132 million. Mm -hmm. if, if you're a team like Boston or Brooklyn or Golden State or Philly that are already way into the tax, you might want they, they might want to just to kind of stand pat or maybe even reduce costs depending what ownership wants. If you're a team that's kind of a, a middle market, but you're kind of under the tax, for example, I'll bring up Utah. They're about, uh, they're not too far from it. And, you know, they're going to sign their first round pick. They want to re-sign Clarkson, but maybe they won't have enough room to use their MLE. And this was a lot of, uh, a lot of people feel that because there's not too many cap space teams that, this is going to be the summer of the mid-level, but uh, it's possible that if the tax doesn't rise, that a lot of teams might not even do that. There might be some teams that all they do is sign their first round picks and that's it just because how tax averse they might be. But, you know, you brought up, okay, well, we see a lot of cost cutting. Well, I'm not sure because if, if a lot of, if a lot of teams are trying to cut costs, then who's going to be taking that money? It seems like everybody wants to cut costs. You got very few teams with cap space or very few teams in general that do want to take in money. It just feels like if the numbers don't rise, we'll have more inaction than, uh, than cost cutting just because find demand. I think one thing that'll be potentially interesting is this is really inside baseball, but depending on where owners and ownership groups make their primary income um, you could see a different appetite for absorbing the tax penalty so the Celtics for example Steve Paliuka works at Bain Capital Bain Capital has done tremendously in COVID and a lot of really white collar Silicon Valley-esque or Wall Street-esque companies are doing for, for better or for worse uh, pretty damn well in the uh, COVID situation other teams if their owners perhaps make their money in say hospitality or food like owner of the rockets i was just um, gonna say that i could see a prolonged pandemic uh, experience really cutting into their personal asset count and bottom line and suddenly maybe the appetite for spending on your nba team which maybe not isn't necessarily a money-making enterprise especially not during covid could change teams plans so for anyone who isn't a celtics fan i think the celtics are insulated just because the team ownership seems to be doing okay um, but I guess anyone listening who isn't a Celtics fan I would interrogate 
um, what your owner's assets look like and where they might be making their income because that could actually dictate their willingness to spend in the tax. Sam, uh, I totally agree. And I think another thing that has to be considered when we're talking about um, cap figures for this year, as well as uh, what kind of how teams choose to proceed in free agency for this season is uh, the 2021 off season, which is going to be loaded with star free agents. And I imagine a number of teams such as Dallas, Miami, Toronto, Golden State, many others will likely be prioritizing setting themselves up to have both assets that can entice free agents in that class, as well as the cap space to potentially sign certain very large Greek men, if need be. Yeah, we could see a lot of one-year deals. Like from uh, two years ago, we, in 2018, there was a lot of one-year deals. Maybe we'll just end up behind the cycle where one year we have the big signings and the next year just very small deals to prepare for the next big free agent class. So how long do you think revenue might be down? I know, I know that they are definitely projecting it not to be back up. Um, clearly, there's needs, there needs to be some link between butts and seats at arenas. Presumably, after this season, I hope to God, <laughs> there is the ability for us to do things like that again. Um, like, is that going to be like an immediate return to like cap normalcy once that starts happening? Is there going to be some kind of a delay, do you think? Like, what's your view on how long do you think this could be down? I would have to say definitely has to do with the fans. Uh, fans, uh, so season tickets and what money they spend while at the games. I believe that's about 40% of revenue for, uh, of, of BRI. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... That's about my that's, Yeah, that's almost 50%. So I feel like that's, like that's got to be it. Once the fans are back in, then it should start, we should start to feel some sense of normalcy. Yeah, to that end, the NBA has five more years of that massive 2016 contract. So if television ratings are down, it's going to take uh, at least a couple of seasons for that to actually affect the NBA's bottom line. So right now it is a lot about recapturing in-person revenue or expanding revenue with deals for daily fantasy and legalized gambling and things like that. You think it's going to be useful at all, really? Just, I'm sorry, Alex, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, no I'm, I'm wondering if, the, like, I saw something to the tune of like 80 to $100 million, which is a lot of money. But I mean, when we're talking like losses in the billions, it almost seems like an afterthought. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing, uh, I just did a little bit of Investopedia research that the Jersey advertisements have only brought in about $9.3 million dollars. Which is again nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> These are not a small numbers. amount of money, but yeah. No, but in the in the context <laughs> that the NBA is operating, I mean, every little bit counts. It's it's not, uh, I think, a black and white issue. The stuff with China hurt. The illegal streaming hurts. The certainly fans not being in seats or fifty percent capacity hurts. And whether or not these are avoidable or important problems to have, it seems like we are a far cry from. The trajectory we thought the NBA was on back in 2016-2017. So Cam, you mentioned something there that I think is really important and could also be a path for the NBA uh, recouping not all but at least some of this lost revenue, which is that the NBA in a weird way also has an opportunity to become the dominant streaming sports league. I really think this is the case, especially if they partner with an already high engagement streaming platform, something like YouTube or 
Amazon. I think this is something, this is kind of the, the white whale that Adam Silver has been chasing for a while now, especially given the demographics of the NBA's audience, which typically skews younger and less interested in buying traditional cable TV packages. So I think you're almost certainly going to see the NBA uh, trying to find ways to make up some money via uh, streaming revenue. And you could see them get pretty creative with that. So one of the things that I think goes well with that, that would also be a good way to get some cash back into the system, though I don't necessarily think that other factors are going to make it happen at least for like this this upcoming season and the season after, but maybe maybe a little sooner than the five to ten year frame that I was hearing for the idea of expansion, particularly into my home market here in Mexico City. Um, they need some more data before they make a move that big. But I mean, particularly considering the revenue situation right now, it's got to be attractive to think about opening up a media rights deal for a ready-made market with twenty million already existing fans. You know, I mean, that's got to be at least something of a double digit millions, if not more. I have no idea how to value these things, but I'm, I'm just you know, just guessing. There seems to be, be a lot of money to be made in, in expansion in terms of franchising rights and, and all of that. Is there a chance that all of these things kind of come together and, and create kind of like a revenue jump kind of akin to going back to 2016 in the, in the media rights contract? that sparked this whole cycle of boom and bust uh, cap space seasons. Like what, what, are the, what are the chances of like a revenue jump coming into it? Is that, is that kind of the point of this, this whole uh, three year escrow plan, Yasi? I feel like even if the pandemic never happened, the NBA still needs to find a way to capitalize on a lot of the changing consumption behavior. So uh, you mentioned how younger younger people. Um, so I'm 27. I guess you could count me as that demographic. And, you know, I'm guilty of not watching a lot of games from start to finish. I feel like this is an issue that is still ongoing because ratings are have been a big issue, especially when during the bubble and the restart. That is maybe now the pandemic will push the NBA more to find a way to capitalize more on it but um unless they can unless they could find a way to get people like me to watch games more from start to finish like they want then they got to find a way to to really capitalize on like you know, social media engagements uh you know youtube clips all those all those things that, and i'm sure they will i'm sure there will be a way and all the other sports leagues will follow suit but yeah just that's a very important one they need to figure out i would love to Seems see to if, me go ahead no, no, you go, you go. Okay, my turn. Finally, no, I'm just <laughs> um, I've been pushing this idea for a free version of League Pass, except for there's commercials. You know, you yeah. have to watch commercials and it's their commercials and they make the money directly from the commercials and everybody's happy and you get to watch League Pass. And yes, it's annoying because there's commercials, which is if you don't want them, you pay them more money. I, I think that's a really good idea and one that I would not be surprised if the NBA pursues relatively soon. Um, I think people ultimately do uh, kind of want to view television in the same way, just without having to pay for cable. I don't think there's going to be a lot of objections to a streaming service that features advertisements here and there. And I mean, if you look at like Hulu, for example, which has a ton of members who don't pay for premium Hulu all across the world, 
and uh, they watch, you know, three ads per episode. And I think I think there's real potential there, Justin. It's something worth looking into. Yeah, it seems to me that baseball is down, hockey is down, the NBA is down. Other than the WNBA, things are were dramatically down. I think the key to success for the NBA is to never compete with the NFL. Mm -hmm. um, because they're just not going to win that market. It's still the case Finally that... no. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no more thought experiment there. It's preseason games we're outdrawing and uh, NBA playoff games. So they really hope they make good COVID decisions and build in flexibility for possible stoppages of play. But I'm so sure that the conversations that are being had include how can we never go up against the NFL again? Because it's it was pretty profound. What about the Celtics specifically, like in the short term? How, or does this impact uh, how the team might be approaching, for example, the biggest decision in the room, which is Gordon Hayward's future with the team? I mean, are they going to be more reticent to re-signing him to any deal, or is it only going to be something that they consider? Like, how do you, Yasi, envision uh, Gordon Hayward's future because of, because of these <clears throat> projections? So one of you mentioned how the Celtics, their ownership is doing a, probably doing a lot better than other owners. So it is definitely a team-by-team team thing. And I think the Celtics are in the – can be considered one of those teams that, um, yeah, probably won't affect them too negatively. I think no matter what, they're probably going to be a tax team unless Hayward were to leave. But if they're going to uh, have them come back and they're going to run most of the team back, they're for sure going to be a luxury tax team, even if the tax, even if the tax doesn't, even if the tax were to rise as uh, initially projected, they're probably still going to be a, a tax team. So I don't think it changes too much. I guess the bigger question is more so Gordon Hayward with his option. I think that's that will have a, a much more a profound effect on uh, on what the Celtics do. Yeah, see, I, t I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, everything that I'm hearing from the Celtics uh, front office up to this point suggests that they want to keep Gordon Hayward on the team. They value him as a player, and I think they envision him as part of a championship core alongside Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kemba Walker. How long that's going to be for is a little up in the air. I think uh, they were hoping that he would kind of just opt into the current structure of his deal or that he would negotiate with them on kind of re-signing in a longer term sense. But I think uh, Danny Ainge and company want to keep Gordon Hayward in a green uniform and would prefer not to have to trade him or see him walk in free agency. And I do think ultimately a lot of this decision comes down to more Gordon Hayward's uh, personal choices as to whether he wants to stay with the team than uh, whether the Celtics want to keep him or not. Yeah, I'm not uh, Gordon Hayward and I'm not Robin Hayward, so I can't make this decision. But Gordon Hayward has made $180 million in his NBA career thus far, um, opting into a $34 million contract for one year feels like some level of stability that probably they can afford. Um, and I think, I mean, we're so desperate for Celtics content, but it seems to me that this Celtics team was a few fourth, bad fourth quarters away from a trip to the finals. Um, apropos of bad Kemba Walker knees and 
um, an ailing Gordon Hayward. So if I'm Hayward and if I'm the Celtics, I don't really see a reason to not run it back and just tinker on the margins. But uh, if this is kind of like an Al Horford situation where the Celtics don't seem like they want to have a future with Gordon Hayward and he wants to get the years and the money, I mean, good luck to him in Indiana. That would be great for him. You know, before free agency started, uh, it felt that with Hayward, you know, he had another injured season. Uh, he played really well when he when he was healthy, but the, he kind of went through stints where he played so well. He showed he, he was on. I thought he was playing at an all star level in the beginning of the year, and then he got hurt, came back, was a little slow to get in the groove again, and then he got really good, and then would get hurt again, and that seemed to happen like three or four times this season. So, but overall, it was, he did have an injured year and this, there's not a lot of cap space teams that are, that do have cap space, aren't that exciting like New York or Charlotte or Atlanta. So you would think that the combination of those things that this, the smart bet just for him to opt in, get that 34 million, run it back uh, and go from there. But I do, the more I think about it and, I, I do think there is somewhat of a possibility that maybe he, he will opt out just because even though he did have a somewhat of a down year with the injuries, this, if a team like Atlanta, for example, were to offer him a max contract or a near max contract, that's one suitor right there. Now you can, he can try to get the Celtics to offer him some, something similar and, for a guy like Hayward, who's 30, this could be his, his last chance to get a, another big contract like this. Yes, next summer, there are going to be a lot more teams with cap space, a lot more contenders. And, you know, assuming he's healthy, then he should have his pick. But at the same time, you, there's still so much uncertainty. That's a year, that's a year away. We don't know what the cap's going to be like. Uh, so I do think that if there is... I just do think he's going to seriously consider all his options this summer to really maximize his earnings because you just don't know what's going to happen. I definitely feel like that's right. And, you know, I mean, you, you kind of put it out there, but I think many people, including myself, consider this to be a relatively weak free agent class in terms of star talent. And Gordon Hayward, you know, while he has suffered some injuries and had kind of inconsistent play in Boston. He's also so shown at times that he is capable of being a very high level NBA player. And I think if I were Gordon Hayward's agent right now, I would be telling him, you're going to have a better shot at getting a max or close to max deal in this weaker free agent class now than you would be next year when you're going up against the likes of Giannis, Kawhi, et cetera. So it's, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he tests the market, but I do think that the Celtics are going to try their darnest to keep him. There is a situation too where he could, you know, he has more leverage, uh, I think, than people are giving him credit for too, because if he really does decide that he wants to play the market like that and he does get an offer from a team he would need a signing trade for the Celtics can say no, but then he's probably leaving at the end of that. And you have to deal him and you will have to get whatever you can get for him. Because at that point, everyone in the league will also know you have no leverage. So at that point, you're just going to basically be getting whatever you can possibly fit to keep some flexibility over the cap. And 
that's exactly the kind of situation everyone I think is trying to avoid. How does this change Boston's attempts to build a contender? I mean, do they, do they look at this and see that there is a real possibility for a sleeper like Atlanta, or maybe, maybe Miami says, Hey, we'll give you the full max in this year with a non-guaranteed second year. And then, you know, if, if things don't work out, then we'll, we'll just, you know, re-sign you for less. Sorry, did, you say, oh, did you say if, if Boston would offer that or if a different team would If offer Miami that? would offer that to him. So in other okay. words, he, they, he could be kind of like a, a, a one-season trade exception, uh, I guess you could say. Not, that's not really the right word for it. One-season placeholder uh, for, for the cap they would want to use to lure ostensibly a better star, but, you know, the, that would, he would at least have a guarantee of the same amount of money he would get plus a potentiality for a longer, bigger term deal, a longer term big deal than he would otherwise get. Um, I think it's, it's complicated for, for the Celtics um, in that if he does opt in, the, their ability to make trades is going to be really difficult. And so there's something, I mean, Danny Ainge is, you know, he's traded Danny for a reason. Getting Hayward at like a $20 million rate um, also opens up a lot of trade options for the Celtics because then they have different tiers of types of contracts to play with. So there is kind of this like galaxy brain world where say Miami doesn't offer him the max, but offers him three years at 20 million. There's a world where that's beneficial to the Celtics insofar as then they put a $20 million contract on their books, which uh, I know that Hayward and um, Brad Stevens have such a strong relationship and, Boston has to be weary after Isaiah Thomas of being a little too quick to trade star players, but um, having that kind of mid-level contract to trade could be helpful because right now outside of the top heavy star players, Marcus Smart, I think at like 12 million is their next kind of hefty contract. contract, Yeah. yeah, So making moves is pretty difficult Um, to having Gordon Hayward at three years and 20 million not only do you maybe have Gordon Hayward in your employ for a season, a season and a half, but you also have a contract that's a little more movable. So I want to push back a little bit on this, this whole comparison to Isaiah Thomas, because Isaiah Thomas did not opt into the final year of a contract, knowing that there was an excellent chance he might be dealt if he does, you know, like Gordon Hayward knows what's going on now. You know, he knows what the what the decision tree for the front office is going to be, because if his agent isn't explaining to him very clearly, that's malpractice. And I doubt that's what's going on. So I'm, I'm 100 percent confident that he is walking into this very aware of what can happen if he makes those decisions. And equally, I think the same thing is happening. I think that everyone wants to work together um, and I think everyone wants to keep him here. I think, you know, there isn't someone out there that is going to be a clear upgrade the, the best possible situation is exactly what you were talking about, Cam, like getting him in a longer term, cheaper deal. But, you know, we, we've beaten as collectively as the Celtics media this idea to death at this point. Um, so maybe we should talk about um, how the cap situation is going to be dealing with the next kind of big decision tree in the room. Um, that being the draft, like what, what are they going to do, if anything, differently um, based on the draft? knowing that every salary they bring on um, gets them closer to a repeater tax and will cost them more once they hit it. So I have some thoughts on this. Um, Kevin O'Connor mentioned earlier today in his mock draft that 
uh, Celtics are looking to trade up and they are dangling all three of their first round picks to do so. They're currently not getting any responses based on what KOC has to say. But I think that that makes a lot of sense for the Boston Celtics, both for cap reasons and simply for the structure of their team, how it exists right now. Celtics uh, have a lot of young players that they gave significant minutes to in the playoffs last year. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but adding three new rookies onto this team right now strikes me at least as a challenging thing to work out both in terms of rotations and minutes and in terms of cap room. It would make a lot more sense if the Celtics were able to trade up, say, to the eighth, seventh, or sixth pick even with the picks that they have, and maybe even involving moving one of those younger bench players uh, to try and kind of consolidate those assets into one person that they only have to pay one rookie salary for. Because, you know, as we've said before, the Celtics are, they're going to be a tax team and every dollar matters for tax teams. So I could see a scenario and I think the Celtics will be actively pushing for this scenario to try and trade some of those picks either to get a higher draft position this year or maybe just to move them into next year, which is a classic Danny Ainge draft move when he doesn't know what to do with too many picks is to just roll them over. What would you do, Yossi? So you mentioned the repeater tax, and um, I, don't, I don't think that the draft picks really have much of an impact on whether they're going to get closer to that or not. Uh, it's more, you know, if you consolidating your picks into a, into a higher one, yeah, you will save a little bit of money in the short term. Uh, it's not really going to make a big impact on, on, a, on increasing the tax or not. But I do agree, though, that, you know, you, the Celtics have had all these – they accumulated so many picks since 2015. They, uh, they you know, ever since uh, they did the, the Garnett and Pierce trade, they've just gotten so many, so many picks. Hasn't really – uh, turned them into the star, converted them to the star that they hoped. Uh, you know, the, for many years, it was speculated that they would try to turn it in, into Anthony Davis, but that didn't work out. And it's gotten to the point where their last se- last offseason, they had three picks and they used some of them and then they rolled one over and now they got three picks again. And it doesn't, every, each year, it seems like the value of these picks keeps decreasing. So, but yeah, they gotta they gotta finally consolidate it into something that can help them win now, or at least into another good prospect that they really believe in. Um, but I just want to say that you did mention the repeater tax. Uh, we we did talk about Hayward and how his contract that could be something that the Celtics want to get a, on the low a little lower to help to help uh, keep you know try not to get not make the roster too expensive, but in the long run, it's mainly the Tatum extension that's upcoming. Um, if, if the salary cap increases next year as a, as it's supposed to, mm-hmm. uh, let's say it, it, a lot of teams right now are going as if next year's numbers are going to be what this year's was supposed to be. Tatum could get a, about a five years, 167 mil. And if he gets all NBA again, or MVP or, you know, one of those, a defensive player of the year, then he can get an even bigger max contract. It'd be 200 million a year. And that's where the future of Hayward and Kemba could really get a little complicated. 
to touch on that, he comes off the books, Ken comes off the books in 2022-23, assuming he ups, and I'm sure he will, given it's very unlikely he's going to be getting the same kind of offers that he was getting this time in free agency at that point of his career. Should we be looking to replace Kemba Walker now? Uh, should we, is that some, something you think we might be able to come up with kind of, you know, juggling star players like him and Gordon Hayward? Like, how would you approach this from a cap perspective? I, I think it mainly depends what happens with Gordon Hayward because, you know, you're going to, they're going to have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, no matter what. Together, they could be making 50 to 60 mil combined, uh, maybe 70 mil combined. Uh, you could, you could uh, talk the ownership into paying another guy like Kemba, who's making 30 mil plus every year. Now, uh, if you're going to have Hayward as well, I feel like in the long run, uh, having both Kemba and Hayward is going to be very complicated. So, you know, we talk about, you mentioned how Kemba, he's coming off the books in 2023. I think in the end, the Celtics will probably have to choose between one of them if Hayward were to resign. Okay. Uh, just because, you know, as, as amazing as having these four players are with Marcus Smart, they're, they're, they're like a warrior's light when I see all five of them play. I think it's, it's such an unbelievable team uh, lineup that they put together. At some point, you, it, it, does, it is way too expensive. Um, even though I know that the Celtics, I, I, it seems like they are willing to pay the luxury tax. At some point, it, it just seems like unreasonably high. And uh, sorry, I just I wanted to jump in here with regard to Kemba Walker. You know, I, I'll, I'll speak for myself in saying that despite kind of the injury concerns and uh, the fact that he's 30 years old and on a max contract, I really enjoyed having Kemba Walker on this team this year. I thought he was a great locker room presence and really helped to kind of push the Celtics a little further than I frankly thought that they were going to go. That being said, I think one avenue that relates back to something we were talking about a minute ago that would make a lot of sense for the Celtics this year is to draft a guard, particularly if they trade up. I think having uh, Kemba Walker's successor waiting in the wings would make a lot of sense for this team. And there's a thank- thankfully a lot of good guard prospects. In so Killian draft. Hayes, uh, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but he seems like the perfect person for us oh. to be looking at just because of the fact that, he, I mean, like there are other people like Okongwu and Yeka Okongwu I could see trading up for, but just if we did do this thing that, that uh, we are hearing, you know, the biggest um, open secret really in the NBA at the moment, I, I don't really see any other particularly good targets in the draft uh, that makes sense in terms of both now and in the future uh, for, for, for that sort of a thing. Is there anyone else that we could be targeting that would be a reasonable facsimile uh, for Kemba Walker? I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, So obviously one thing that needs to be mentioned here is that he, and this person might go so early that it doesn't matter, but Danny Ainge did uh, meet with LaMelo Ball, according to some Twitter reports. No, that did not happen. Did that not happen? No, he was there for Puma and everyone thought it was. Um, I believe, you know, a lot of a lot of reputable people, including some some of our USA Today people were stumped by that as well. So don't feel bad. But no, he was actually just there for a Puma 
um, mm. meeting. And I would cry if we do. <laughs> I'm sorry. I would not be happy. But go, uh, Counterpoint. Marcus Smart is a Puma athlete. And uh, true. Ooh, you never back know. Channel, back channel. True. Yeah. Um, I mean, frankly, LaMelo seems like an unrealistic target. Uh, I think, though, that one name that I've really had my eye on for the past couple of months is Kyra Lewis Jr., who uh, brings a level of speed and shooting and transition ability to uh, could, could bring that to the Celtics squad in a way that could be really meaningful, both as an impact player off the bench right now and for the long-term development of the squad. I uh, am really high on this guy. And I think that while a lot of mocks I see are projecting him to go kind of late lottery, you know, in the range of like 10 to 15, I think it <clears throat> wouldn't be crazy to trade up maybe even just a couple of spots to try and get this guy. I think he's going to be a very good NBA player. So I know the draft is all on all, all, all of our minds, but pretty much constantly because it's really the only thing that's generating consistent content uh, and selling us hope at the moment. I won't even talk about the election, I promise. Uh, but you mentioned Marcus Smart. So his extension ends in 21-22. Um, are we potentially looking at losing him, do you think, Yasi? So I was actually looking into that and with Marcus Smart, he's actually eligible to sign an extension this coming summer. Uh, he can add uh, another three years, about $56 million. So that's uh, 20% more of the last year of, the la- of, his, of his contract. So 20, 20% of whatever he's going to make in 2022, he can add three years. Now, so he'll be ma- if he were to agree to that, he would make an average about, of about $18.5 million a year. And if I'm Boston, I think I want to lock him up to that. I think that's really good value for Marcus Marty, especially given what he's, uh, what he's given in uh, production wise, this playoffs. And it com- when you compare that to what Tatum and Brown are going to make, and then uh, what one of Kemba or Hayward, I think that if you can lock him up to about 18 and a half per year, you do that. With that said, I'm not too confident that Smart's going to agree to that because he could get more if you were to hit free agency. But that's just something to uh, to look to just keep an eye on that he is extension eligible. Uh, but if he is going to hit free agency and he starts to get offers that increase what his extension could give him, maybe the Celtics could could blink and look elsewhere. Yeah, it seems like there could be some risk on both sides there, too, because, I mean, Smart decided to to tough it out last time, and he, he kind of got burned a bit. I mean, it's great for the Celtics, but he's definitely on a below-market contract now, and I could actually see him really going either way on that, considering the fact that, you know, everyone is going to be going onto the market at the same time, and while Marcus Smart is an excellent value contract, does he necessarily want to, you know, go at it again, particularly with, with so many free agents timing their, their, their free agency to hit the market on, on that particular cap space rich offseason. Speaking also, um, Jalen Brown is going to be coming off the books um, in 2022-23 as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, should we, is there anything we should be thinking about in terms of you know, the timings of these core pieces uh, coming off the books in the long-term future or really anything else we should be thinking about in terms of Celtics cap futures? 
It's hard to tell right now because we still need to – the Celtics still need a lock of Tatum, and they got to see what's going to happen with Hayward. I think once those two situations are figured out, then we could really start to look way ahead into there. Uh, you know, Smart will also play a part of that. But right now, I think you don't need to look that long-term. Right now, we've got to – I think mainly the next two years is – what we can realistically look at for how the Celtics, uh, I think over the, like what they're this year in the following season, what the financials are right now. That's what this, I think that's what the Celtics will uh, shape their decisions off of for now. And uh, I'm just going to jump in here and say that I think the Celtics uh, number one priority above everything else should be to sign Jalen Brown to a 15 year however much money he wants contract uh, Jalen okay. Brown fucking rules. And <laughs> I really hope that he's on this team for the rest of his career. Yeah. I don't know. He wasn't wearing a mask at his birthday party. That really bothered me. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think not to be like more of a Debbie downer than that, but um, there were whispers that this past season was perhaps the, the Celtics best uh, chances to win a title. And I think Yossi's right. It's probably too premature to make guesses about what the team looks like in two or three years, just because the NBA, the only change in the NBA is constant, uh, the only constant in the NBA is change rather. But I do wonder if this coming season is kind of make or break because there are some really tough decisions down the pike that this year, even though there are some pretty big decisions looming large, they're relatively simple. Yeah, I think if we, we find ourselves choking in the Eastern Conference Finals again, I, I think just about everything is on the table. So what are we working on before we get out of here? Uh, Yasi, I just saw an excellent piece about James Harden potentially going to Philadelphia from you uh, recently. Anything else you've been working on? Yeah, so I'm working with Hoops Type and USA Today on all the uh, salary cap type content. So you could find me there. You can find me on Twitter on Yogi Main, uh, Y-O-G-G-I-M-A-N-E. So yeah, mainly just sal- like almost all salary cap stuff. I'm really into it. I'll post salary cap updates on Twitter as transactions happen or, you know, some, let's say, so for example, when the last week when Morey joined the Sixers, I decided to write about the possibility of what if, the Sixers want to trade for Harden. I wrote about how that can happen under salary cap rules. And then uh, today we saw Shams that mentioned that the Sixers will at some point try to pursue a trade. So if you want to learn more about all the type of, all the mechanics for how these moves get made, I can, I write about all that stuff. Excellent. Alex. Um, so um, I am procrastinating on a piece about the Celtics approach to the draft. Uh, that's something that's coming down the pipe. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on that, as you might have already guessed by listening to this podcast, uh, in particular, how they're going to address the guard spot, the backup guard spot and the uh, sp- center position, uh, which has been much talked about on Celtics media, Twitter, etc., um, so that should be coming whenever I get around to, you know, grading all of my students' stuff and then doing that. Uh, and I also want to write a kind of a, a piece about the NBA's uh, short-lived strike action that occurred in the bubble. 
mm-hmm. uh, which was fascinating to me, uh, both in how it happened and uh, why it happened and how it played out. So you can expect that in, again, whenever I get around to having time to write it. Where do we find you? Uh, you can find me on OTG off the glass basketball dot com slash twitter slash instagram yep uh and you know follow me on twitter at designer underscore smarf s-m-a-r-f uh i'll just post it there cam has been replaced sorry i was i was muted um (laughs) yeah i actually just morphed into a pack of small dogs um yeah i write over at celtics hub i have a um a piece that i wrote previewing the celtics offseason that because the NBA is kind of stuck in the mud figuring out what the next season looks like. It's still valid. Um, also, we're right at OTG Basketball and do some editing there. So if you ever like any of Alex's work, it's probably because I edited it. Um, and That's I'm not correct. Gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to plug my Twitter. It's too much spelling. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you guys know me. I am Manning Celtics Wire, and you can catch all my content there. Maybe uh, if I can ever crawl out of this hole, I will get something up on Off the Glass as well. Um, You can also find my work on Double Clutch UK. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars. If you do not like what you hear, please go away. No, just kidding. Use the hashtag CLPOD uh, in any tweet, any story, anywhere you can leave a comment. Uh, just let us know what you prefer to hear, how you prefer to hear it. We're always trying to bring you the Celtics coverage you want with the deepest dives. Take care. Bye.